Hi, and welcome to Wrongful, a podcast where we look at cases of potential wrongful convictions. Follow along as we introduce you to our first case, the trial of Zachariah Anderson. before we start that I want to point out is that I think Zachariah Anderson is innocent and was wrongfully convicted. So if I come across as biased, I probably am. But with that being said, I will say that I came into this trial as a blank slate. I had no opinion. And really, if I'm being truthful, it was the title that Law and Crime had posted for the trial that really pulled me in. I mean, how could you not want to watch the obsessed ex-boyfriend murder trial? When the verdict was read, I was shocked that he was found guilty. The evidence that the state provided did not convince me of guilt, and I was actually left with more questions than answers, which led me down a rabbit hole where I found others who felt the same. As we looked more into the case, I moved from not guilty to completely innocent, and with the help of some great new friends, we decided that Zach's story needed to be heard. I do promise to be fair and present both sides of the trial, But please listen with an open mind and be willing to weigh both sides. I believe that the facts are on Zach's side and they need to be heard. And now that we've gotten that out of the way, welcome to Wrongful, Episode 1, Custody Battle Gone Wrong. If you know anything about the Zachariah Anderson case, one of the major themes that revolved around it is the issue of child custody. If you or anyone you know has been through a custody battle, I'm sure you're aware how contentious they can become. Tempers can flare, and things that might have been agreed upon beforehand can be thrown out in the blink of an eye. In order to prove that you deserve custody over the other parent, there are specific things that the court wants you to prove. When researching this topic, there are a few main things that we found that were at the top of the list. Things that you could prove to win custody include proving the other party is not fulfilling their parental obligations, as in financial support or spending time with the child or children, showing alcohol or drug abuse, having a history of any violent altercation with a partner or child, also the introduction of a new romantic partner, especially one with any criminal past. So, while probably not always healthy or right, it's expected that when a custody battle goes on, there might be some keeping score, if you will, and the lengths people are willing to go to prove these things, or even to create an illusion of these things, can be quite extreme. In the case we're about to review, you will see how what starts as a child custody battle evolves into something much deeper. In this episode, we'll be diving into Zach's background and through the dissolution of his relationship with Sadie Beecham that led to the accusation of murder. In court, Sadie was able to give her side of the story, so we'll be referencing her testimony along with the text messages that were in evidence. Since Zach was advised by his lawyers to utilize his Fifth Amendment and not testify, his story remains mostly unheard. We believe his side of the story is relevant to understanding and determining a fair view of the case. So, in this episode, along with trial testimony and text message evidence, we'll also be reviewing interviews with his family, some of Zach's personal journals, and police reports obtained through an open records request. Our story begins in Port Washington, Wisconsin. July 5, 1980, Zachariah Joseph Anderson was born to Barry and Mary Anderson. He was their second child, joining his brother Josh, who was just about a year older. 
The two would grow up very close, and there was even a time period where Joshua talked for a young Zach, who only wanted to communicate through his brother. They would be joined by an additional brother, Aaron. Unfortunately, tragedy would strike the Anderson family, and Aaron passed away as an infant. Barry and Mary's relationship became strained, and by the time their brother Solomon was born, the couple had split. The boys lived with their mother for several years until one day Mary walked out on the family. She moved to Texas where she started a new life. Barry took on the role of a single father, and from that point on the boys were raised by him. The family struggled financially, and with Barry working to care for his boys, the brothers had to learn to take care of each other and continued to be very close. Here's a clip of Solomon Anderson talking about when their mom left. Mother left in 1989. Um and left us to her father. She basically put us on the phone in turn uh, with our dad and then had us wait uh, wait outside in the driveway um, and for my dad to pick us up. So um, so my brothers and I kind of trauma bonded. My eldest brother, Josh, Zach and I, you know, we, we bonded together uh, through some, some experience that other families don't necessarily have. My dad uh, was married at the time, but uh, shortly thereafter was no longer married, and uh, and we uh, we were raised effectively through those like key developmental years by you know a single father, and uh, and he did his best to keep us afloat and be there for us. But there's only so much that one man can can do for three growing boys. So you know we kind of had the. Uh, the parallel to like, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks or, or Huey, Dewey and Louie, you know, like yeah. as, uh, as you know, the cartoon characters, you know, out of the, you know, late eighties yeah. and early nineties is three brothers. And, um, and it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it didn't come without challenges. We weren't well off. We worked really hard to try and build ourselves up and, and work together. I mean, Eventually the brothers would gain a stepmother and two more siblings from their father. They would also gain three more sisters from their mother's subsequent relationships. Zach would graduate from Port Washington High School and go on to receive his associate's degree from Milwaukee Area Technical College. He spent time living in Colorado and California, but for the most part, Wisconsin was his home. Zach is known for always being the one to bring people together and working hard to develop those relationships. Here's a clip from Zach's sister Zenith regarding the relationship she developed with Zach. I've always described Zach as like the glue that held us all together um, because when I reached out to them when I was really young, um, I talked to Josh a couple times, I talked to Saul a couple times, but Zach was the one who really um, made an effort to stay in contact through the years. Um, we would talk on the phone. We, I think then we just had a lot in common as far as like music. Um, <laughs> I'm a musician. I'm, I'm a vocalist, song, singer, songwriter. Um, and so he would call and he'd say, you know, play me a song on the piano or play me a song on the guitar or what have you been writing? And of course then, and even now anybody wants to listen to me, I'll, I'll sing and play for you, you know? So we would just talk for hours. Zach was described by multiple siblings as an involved older brother. It was my brother he that took me out with his own car, taught me to drive. He he made sure that I got my temps and 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 then drove with me to work every single day. He got me my first job. He's the one that that went out of his way to look out for me. You know, when I was 
18, 17 years old, he actually uh, started a competition with me to try and save money. So he and I would stack money in the bank and we were competing as to who could do it faster uh, because we had grown up without a lot. So had my permits. Zach taught me how to drive. I mean, I don't think he taught me how to drive, but he, when you have your permits and you have to get so many hours uh, behind the wheel before they'll give you your license, um, he made sure I got all my hours. I got to drive everywhere that summer. Um, and he actually was dating Sadie at the time. So whatever that trip was, it was the first time I had met Sadie. In 2007, Zach began dating Sadie Beecham, whom he met through a mutual friend. In 2008, the couple welcomed a daughter. To protect her privacy, we'll be referring to her as OA from here on out. Zach was over the moon about his daughter. If you watched the trial, one of the significant things that stood out about Zach was that he sported a man bun. This is very different from how he looked in his mugshot when he was arrested. He had a short, faded buzz cut but it was not the first time that he had grown out his hair and wore it long. As a young child, Oe was afraid of getting her hair cut. So Zach grew out his hair so that he could get his hair cut along with her, to make the experience less frightening. In 2015, the couple welcomed twin boys. Zach would be the first to say that he was not always the perfect father, but providing for his family has always been a priority to him, and something that he was passionate about. He wanted to do better for his kids than what he had growing up. For this reason, he worked hard at the jobs he had so that he could help support them financially. One of these jobs was working at AT&T. This job took him on the road a lot. He tried to Skype with the kids when possible, and when he was home, he dedicated himself to them. He would stay at Sadie's home, and he and Sadie would continue to have an on-again, off-again relationship through the 13 years they were together. While working at AT&T, Zach injured his back a problem that would continue to plague him and hurts him to this day. It was discussed several times throughout his trial. After leaving AT&T, he returned home to Wisconsin and began helping his brother Solomon, who was a general contractor with his construction business. He would buy properties and rent them out. Zach was proud of his accomplishment of buying his own house in Mequon, Wisconsin. The house needed a lot of work because the electrical had to be completely redone. The house was in the process of being gutted, but Zach had no problem living frugally in his unfinished home because investing in his family was a priority to him. He ensured his kids were cared for financially and he had plans to invest in a project with his brothers. People made some comments about him living in squalor and, and the reality is we gutted the house because it, there was a fire hazard and we went to fix the electrical that, that was a problem. But instead of putting the walls back together, he said, hmm, there's not enough return on the investment. What I would rather do is wait and continue to take the money that I have and invest it in future income possibility because we grew up poor. And that was, it was an important aspect of, of how he thought and how we operated as a unit together. It was not necessarily about, about living in comfort or living, living well with the money that he had. It was very specifically about how to how to project the whole family in a, in a more positive direction. He would fund the project to buy properties at auction, while Solomon, who worked as a general contractor, would fix them up and they would turn them into rental properties. Zach's life was going in a good direction. However, his relationship with Sadie continued to decline. In December 2019, Zach and Sadie would have an argument that became very heated. 
We obtained the police report through an open records request. According to statements given in the report, Zach claimed that he and Sadie had come to an agreement back around Thanksgiving. The agreement was that he would be able to have the kids on his son's birthday and to celebrate Christmas. So, on December 24th, Christmas Eve, Zach arrived at Sadie's house to pick up the kids. When he arrived, Sadie informed him that their daughter, Oe, was not at home, but was at Sadie's father's house. Zach informed the police that he and Sadie had discussed his feelings about not allowing Oe alone with Sadie's dad due to prior allegations of inappropriate touching with another girl. According to Zach, this is when the argument began to get verbally and physically heated, as Sadie allegedly swung a broom handle at him. The couple continued to argue, and Sadie called 911. Sadie then said she went and called her daughter to let her know what was happening, which I'm not sure why she involved an 11-year-old child with the situation, but Sadie claims it was her daughter who told her to call 911. When police arrived on scene, they could hear arguing. They noted that Zach was holding his son and seemed calm, while Sadie was very emotional and screaming at them to get him out. Zach told police that he was there to get his kids, as they had agreed upon, while Sadie claims that he was never supposed to leave with the kids, just visit. In her statement to police, Sadie doesn't accuse Zach of any physical abuse, but claims he was verbally attacking her. The police take Zach into custody, but the Washington County DA office declined to prosecute the incident because the incident did not appear to have any physical confrontation between the two parties. Sadie requested friends of abuse family not contact her, and she did request a 72-hour no-contact order be placed against Zach, but did not want to complete the domestic violence information packet. And I think it's important to point out here that she never filed for a restraining order, despite the fact that she has alluded to this in Facebook discussion groups on social media after the trial. After this altercation, a couple months would go by before they decided to meet up to talk. In February of 2020, they decided to meet up to make arrangements with the children and set up a schedule. Each of them had also started dating other people. Zach was dating a girl named Christine. According to her court testimony, they spent many of their nights together hanging out and watching movies. Sadie also pursued other relationships. In mid-February, she would meet a man named Rosalio Gutierrez via Facebook dating. Sadie wanted to keep her relationship private, and it was through the kids that Zach started hearing this new name mentioned. In early March of 2020, Sadie went on vacation to Mexico with a group of friends. Instead of informing Zach of her trip and arranging childcare with him, she asked her friend Rebecca to babysit. During this time, an incident would occur that would be the first allegation used against Zach in his trial. Zach owned his own home, but did not have access to a washer and dryer, so Sadie allowed Zach to do laundry at her home. Zach sometimes worked long hours and would come at weird hours to do this. On one of those occasions, he would be coming back from a court appearance in South Dakota and needed to do laundry before starting a new job the next day. He came over very early in the morning, but found that Sadie was not home and was surprised to find Rebecca sleeping on the couch instead. Zach and Rebecca did not have a great relationship, so neither party was happy to see the other in the moment. Rebecca immediately called Sadie in Mexico and told her that she needed to call 911 or Rebecca would. Evidence in court shows that Rebecca called Sadie at 3.56 a.m. Sadie proceeded to call 911 and inform them that Zach was trespassing and was attempting to take the kids without permission. In a police report obtained regarding the incident, an officer went to the premises at approximately 4.40 a.m. and found that Zach was preparing breakfast for his kids. In his statement, Zach stated that he normally had permission to go to Sadie's house and do laundry as long as he let Sadie know. 
He had attempted to call, but Sadie did not answer the phone. Zach said that when he arrived at the house, the front door was unlocked, which concerned him because of the kids. They allowed Zach to obtain his laundry out of the washing machine and to say goodbye to the kids before escorting Zach off the property. There was no arrest made, no citation, and no orders were placed. The incident, as testified in trial, was supposed to paint the picture of an obsessive ex beginning his stalking campaign. But is that really the full story? Especially after having reviewed the police report regarding the incident. Looking at it in the context of what his usual activities were, is it really that out of the norm that he would have shown up just to do his laundry as he had many times before and maybe was surprised and a little concerned that he was not included in the care for his children in the absence of their mother? Was this blown out of proportion when Rebecca testified on the stand? While still in Mexico, Sadie begins discussing with Rosalio how to get full custody of the children, as heard in this text exchange that was presented at trial. The part of Rosalio will be read by one of our editors, and I'll read the part of Sadie. Full custody might be hard unless you have a paper trail situation where it shows he's unfit. You can get primary placement. They'll grant him visitation rights every other weekend, but from what it sounds like, he won't follow through with Keep a paper trail of it, then down the road you can go for full custody. It will also get the ball rolling for child support. I will, and yes, it might be hard, but I'm going to try. You need to get a calendar and start tracking every time he calls and attempts to spend time with the kids. Anytime he might buy something, etc. It will become very helpful. Maybe even try to backtrack as much as you can and track it. I have some things already documented, especially from the last incident. Rosalio also offers to stake out at her house that night. Babe, I can stake out at your house tonight like a detective, LOL. OMG, you're so sweet. But seriously, I don't have the kids tonight. No, he can't come back to my house or he'll get arrested. The cops told my friend to call back if he comes back. But then he mentions something a little alarming. Or option B is, well, I do know people. Oh, I've definitely thought about a plan B, lol. It shouldn't be this hard, and I'm so mad he doesn't care what it does to the kids. That's why plan B might work. Just needs a little reminder. So, what is this plan B they're referring to? If you're keeping notes, you might want to write that one down. After the incident with Rebecca, Zach offers to keep the kids so Sadie can see Rosalia when she gets back. While he does tease her about the new relationship, his concern seems to be on his kids. He acknowledges his regret of working so much and not making his family a priority and mentions the injury to his back from his AT&T days. Living with physical anguish and now emotional anguish, he seems to have regrets for the way things turned out, but acknowledges he wants to live the rest of his days with love and happiness. Meanwhile, Sadie and Rosalio continue to talk and pursue their relationship, as is evident in this text exchange from March 10th when Sadie returns from Mexico. Have I told you that when I kissed you that I knew you were the one for me? And have I told you that I prayed for someone like you to come into my life? I feel like he answered my prayers, babe. I honestly feel like we have happily ever after potential feels. You did tell me, and I like that. Love confession time. I'm head over heels for you, like I totally know you are for me. Like no questions asked, you are for me. I feel some fantastic things are going to happen with us. Zach is still with Christine, but does admit to still having some unresolved feelings for Sadie due to their being together for so long and having children together. This is something that even Christine acknowledged in her trial testimony. She cared about her relationship with Zach, 
but admitted that she would be willing to step aside if Zack and Sadie decided to reconcile. What we see in the coming weeks are Sadie and Zack trying to co-parent. As expected, with a breakup and unresolved feelings, it wasn't always easy and it was awkward at times, but they seemed to try to come together and figure it out for the kids. We know that Zack was still allowed at Sadie's home, which is evident in some text messages between the two. March 21st, she was surprised not finding Zack at the house when she woke up, and she texted him and asked him about it. Morning. When did you leave? I thought you were going to stay. Good morning, pretty lady. I left when everyone fell asleep last night. Okay, but you fell asleep first. This suggests that Zack being over and even staying the night was not completely out of the question at this point. In fact, we know that Zack would go over as often as he could to help tutor their 12-year-old daughter. He was trying to stay involved with the kids as much as he was able. That same night, March 21st, Zack asked Sadie if she has a date with Rosalio later. She ended that text exchange with a good night, Z-Bear. You and Leo got date night tonight? What's the plan? Huh, good night. <laughs> good night, Z-Bear. It seems like an odd goodbye to send someone you're in a toxic place with. Because Sadie claims that Zack was stalking and harassing her, and that she was afraid of him through this time period, as testified to on the stand. The same time period where she was inviting him over and continuing to use pet names. Zack also seems to be confused about this, too. He told her the next day, March 22nd, in a text, I don't have any fight left for you. I don't have any arguments. I have questions, some feelings. Good night, Sadie Bear. I love you. In the following clip, you can hear Zach's lawyer describe more text conversations between Zach and Sadie in March, where Sadie makes it clear she wants to make things work. March 24th, 2020, Miss Beecham receives a text from Mr. Anderson that says, you got other dudes and I am supposed to find someone who wants to spend time with me. The state says that the evidence will show that she's not trying to Spark up, the, spark up the relationship again. Um, but there's instances, and you'll hear the testimony, that Miss Beecham continuously refers to Mr. Anderson as Babe. His nicknames on March 28, 2020, she texts Mr. Anderson and says, Good night, A Bear. She continuously, from January 2019 all the way up to May 17, 2020, says things like this. There were also instances where she expressed to Mr. Anderson that she wanted to give it another go with Mr. Anderson. On March 30th, 2020, Miss Beecham texted Mr. Anderson and said, and you'll, and you'll hear this when she testifies, I want to give us a chance but I feel like I'm just going to lose the fight. The month of March came and went, and as we get into April of 2020, Sadie and Rosalio are still going strong. Here's a text message between the two from April 17th. Babe, I miss you. I miss you too. I think I'm kind of falling for you, Rosalio. Following this, Zach and Sadie's relationship is more strained, as can be seen through their text messages. Zach expresses the hurt of how things have ended up and his frustration with the situation. Sadie is also frustrated with Zach and seems to downplay the relationship between her and Rosalio. Zach feels like she is giving him mixed signals, 
inviting them over to dinner and calling it pet names, then seeing this other guy and being elusive about it. We can clearly see this happening through text messages on April 22nd that were shown in trial. We stopped by to grab warmer clothes for heading to the lake house. Looks like you didn't make it home. Again. I'm about to be in a conference call in a minute. In short, I'm tired of all the accusations about where I am. You're really overly paranoid. I'm just at Becky's, you fool. Enough. It wasn't an accusation. It was an observation. Later that evening. Picking up Panda Express if you want to come over for a little bit. Let me know. Even later on this evening, the time's unknown. Rosalio to Sadie. What you doing, babe? Ten minutes later, Zach to Sadie. I still love you. Thanks for having me over. Good night. Seven minutes later, Sadie to Rosalio. Laying here, ready to go to bed, baby. One minute later, Rosalio to Sadie. Good night, sweet dreams. Two minutes later, Sadie to Zach. Good night, XOXO. Two minutes later, Sadie to Rosalio. Good night, Rosalio. During this time, Zach claims he was getting pushback from his daughter, who was unhappy that he was pursuing another relationship. Zach says that OA didn't fully believe that her mom was moving on and was angry with Zach that he was. Zach decided that he would show OA that her mom had in fact moved on. So on the night of April 25th, they drive to Sadie's home. They park next door in a bar parking lot that is next to Sadie's house. Zach and OA look in the window where they see Sadie who has Rosalio over. As they leave, Zach pulls in the driveway to obtain information on Rosalio's vehicle so that Zach can look into this guy, since he presumed that he would be in his children's lives. Now, this story in itself can sound worrisome. Why would Zach take his young daughter late at night to spy on her mother? Why would he take information about his ex's new boyfriend? These were all things that were brought up at trial as the prosecution tried to paint Zach as an obsessed ex-boyfriend who stalked his ex and couldn't let her go. And while the manner in which Zach did this may not be something you agree with, we want to provide some context as to why he may have done this. Zach did not go there because he was obsessed. He went there as a way to reconcile things with his daughter so that she could accept that they were both moving on. Could he have done this differently? Yes, a thousand times over, and he probably should have. But does this make him what the prosecution said he was? An obsessed stalker? There was also another reason Zach wanted to obtain information about who Sadie was dating. A situation had occurred that made Zach very concerned about the people who were around his children. To protect the privacy of minors involved, we'll not be sharing these reasons. But it was relevant to know that Zach was on high alert and concerned about the people that were involved with his children. He obtained this info so he could look into Rosalio, who was anticipated to be in close contact with his children. This is why he would eventually create a file on his computer with Rosalio's name. Not so he could stalk him, and not because he was obsessed with him, but because he was doing his diligence as a father to protect his children and keep track of anything concerning that might be relevant to his child custody case. He made no attempts to disguise the folder. He used Rosalio's name as the file label. As far as keeping tabs on Sadie, Zach did feel that she spent a lot of times away from the kids, and as this is relevant to his custody case, it could make sense that Zach may want to keep track of the times where he is made aware of Sadie being gone. He was, he was trying to protect his children, right? He was trying to, to get evidence to take to court to try and, and get them out of a toxic situation. This event would be discussed at length in trial, as it is the main piece the prosecution will present for the stalking charges. In future episodes, we'll be breaking down the testimony of Sadie Anoa regarding that night. 
For the purposes of this episode, we will continue with the story. The following day was Oe's birthday. The family had a birthday party. Oe was angry with Sadie after witnessing the prior night and that her mother had in fact moved on. Sadie noticed this behavior and eventually Oe would tell her what had occurred. Sadie was upset and confronted Zach. The couple argued about it and she accused him of stalking her. He denied stalking her. The couple proceeded to argue over this in an hour-long phone call. Sadie then goes to Rosalio with the situation. Rosalio is angry and threatens to go to Zach's house and break his legs. He also mentions that he knows people. Sadie and Rosalio then have a three-hour FaceTime that night, and she gives him Zach's address, saying, If he has yours, you should have his. Well, I guess if he has your info, you should have his. Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalio's phone records. Zachary Anderson lives in Mequon. Already figured it out. I did a little bit of Facebook investigations. I just went fucking off the rails on him a few minutes ago. Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalia's phone records. That's what I'm going to do. I already reached out to old friends. I can be hands-free from this situation. Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalia's phone records. Just a good old ass whooping. Maybe broken leg or something. For the record, only if you say it's okay. Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalio's phone records. What texts? Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalio's phone records. Then delete those texts from your phone. Please note this next message is deleted from Sadie's phone, but present on Rosalio's phone records. 6813 Highland Road, Mequon, Wisconsin, 53092. Is this accurate? Poppy no snitch. In reviewing Rosalio's phone, it's discovered that he navigates to Zach's address on the Waze app, although it is unknown if he actually went there at the time. Zach says in a text message on May 1st, You always refuse to say we're done. You refuse to say it's over. You act angry with me for taking interest in someone else while you and Booger sleep in the same bed. During this text exchange, it's apparent that Zach is confused, angry, and hurt. He doesn't seem to be a fan of Rosalio based on the information he found out about him either. He is frustrated that Sadie refers to Rosalio as a friend when he knows that Sadie and Rosalio are looking for more. He tells Sadie in a text, that is your choice and that isn't something that I could offer you and I, a future together. Around this time, Solomon, Zach's brother, claims that Sadie was still coming to family functions despite Sadie testifying in trial that she felt harassed and stalked by Zach. Because on the weekend of, I believe it was May the 2nd of 2020, she came to my sister's birthday party. I believe that they left separately, but she still stayed and hung out. She spent time with our family. She, she, was, she was standing next to Zach. It's not like they didn't spend time together. On May 7th, OA, who had previously been disallowed from having a phone, drops a smartphone while they were at Sadie's best friend, Rebecca's house. She believes that Zach gave it to OA to spy. Sadie goes through his phone and looks through the Amazon history. She finds an order that was placed on April 2nd for two GPS trackers. It shows an estimated delivery date of April 21st. The trackers would be discovered by police unused. brother had spoken to me at length about putting GPS trackers in my van uh, to, to, to then let my, my employees drive my van to give me more time in the office. Mm. Right. So that way I could track where their locations were. And we had talked about that specifically. Right. So he had spoken about that with me 
before this ever happened. So did he look into that? Absolutely. You know, they have the search history. They presented that in court that 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 there was a search of of, of GPS trackers. Was that indicative of him stalking her? Not necessarily. Not at all. She testified that she gave this phone back the next day. The following day, Zach and Sadie discuss childcare for that day. And during the phone call, Zach drops the bombshell that he will be filing for custody. Sadie says that she also moved forward with filing paperwork for custody. They also discuss that Sadie will drop the kids off at Zach while she goes to drop a water lily off to her brother. When Sadie shows up with the kids, Zach notices that she is all dolled up. During the time of getting the kids out of Sadie's car, Zach's smartphone ends up in Sadie's car. Sadie testifies that she gets a text from Zach about how she looked dressed up with the assumption she's going to Kenosha to see Rosalio and not just dropping off a plant to her brother. So I got, when I got to my brother's, I actually um, got the text message about that you just saw, the first one. And then um, I became suspicious thinking, how does he know this? And knowing that what I'd seen with the trackers, then I just was on very high alert. Um, so I, when I got to my brother's, I started looking through my car. Um, like I looked under the seats, looked in the front and the back, and um, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't see anything, and I just kind of shuffled myself on, um, and then drove down to Kenosha. Um, when I got there. Uh, I got the second text message um, and again, started checking my car. I have two pockets that are in the back seats of my, behind my seats. I was checking in there. Um, and then I, the boys have booster seats. They're not car seats, they're just booster seats. So they're not like uh, buckled in. They just lift, you know, they just sit on the seat. Um, so I just lifted up the car or the booster seat, and there was a smartphone, the burner phone, face down underneath the seat, and I grabbed it and realized that it was his phone. I couldn't turn it off because um, it was protected, password protected. So I was kind of in a panic, just finding it, and I was upset. Um, I, I believe I I went in the house and talked to Rosalio about it, and he, he kind of helped me turn off the phone, and then I shut the phone off. All dolled up to go out, and you go to Kenosha because you found my phone? Or you already had plans and just like to try to guilt me? You treat me like I'm so stupid. I had no plans to go there, actually. After I found it, I called and asked if I could cruise out and why. I didn't even go inside because he had his kid. You're stupid for trying to fuck with me, so you get fucked with back. So, which is it? Did she find the phone while she was already at Rosalio's, or did she drive out there afterwards? Her court testimony made it sound like she had already planned to be at his house that day. But, according to these text messages, it doesn't sound like that was a plan at all. In fact, she said she didn't even go inside because he had his kids. So why else would she need to go there? Was it because Zach was stupid for trying to fuck with her, so he was getting fucked with back? She said she didn't know how to turn off his phone. I'm sorry, but who doesn't know how to turn off a phone or put it in airplane mode? Why does she need to go to Rosalio's house to do that? One theory is that this situation could speak to the illusion of stalking instead of actual stalking, especially when you consider the previous day Zach had told her that he was filing for custody, 
We don't know how the phone ended up in the car. It could have gotten there several different ways. But if she really did find it while at her brother's, as she claims, taking the phone on a trip to Kenosha doesn't make any sense unless she wanted to have a paper trail. The story gets stranger as that night she sends Zach the song Do You Love Her by Jesse Reyes. If you look at the lyrics of this song, it describes a scorned woman who was hurt by someone she loved and wants to hurt them back. Some of the lyrics say, I should have fucked your friends. That would have been the best revenge. There's even some lines that say, and I should good fellow you. Call me Karen. Waking up to my Beretta. If I blow your brains out, I can guarantee you that you'll forget her. If I blow your brains out, I could kiss it better. Even stranger, when Zach tells Sadie he lost his phone and asks Sadie if she found it, she denies it. But Zach is sure Sadie has it because he used Find My Phone app to track it, which is something people actually do when they lose their phones. The couple has several discussions. The couple argue over text messages and phone calls. Sadie finally admits to having the phone but refuses to give it back to Zach unless he says that he's stalking her. We're unsure at what point Sadie gave the phone back to Zach, as it wasn't documented or testified to in trial. And then you continue to have an argument regarding that phone that you found in your car. So while you say, well, you admit to me, you put it in my car to track me, and I give it to you and ask you to stop tracking me. He then says, you required I say that before you would give it back. I don't need a phone to know where you go. I can usually tell. You then said, I required nothing but the truth. You provided that of your own volition. And then he said he wouldn't agree to return the phone until said whatever you wanted to hear. Is that all accurate? Yes. And then a little bit later on, he tells you, and I called Cricket to find where the phone was. I could have swore it was in my van playing music while I cleaned. I searched and researched the van and then the house. I searched the house repeatedly the next day in front of the kids. You say, keep telling your story so you believe it because I don't. In fact, I knew you would say all of this. You are predictable and manipulative. And then ultimately, he says to you, so maybe I'm just saying you should stop and give it a second thought before you accuse me of stuff. Is that all accurate? Yes. On May 13th, Zach expresses to Sadie in text messages the hurt that he feels. Realizing she is moving on and accepting that she's doing what's right for her, he expresses his regrets for the breakdown of their relationship and how it was worth it to try and fix that relationship with the mother of his children. He acknowledges that her doing what is right for herself is believing it isn't him anymore. Zach also records a phone conversation with Sadie this day. In the recording, they're arguing about obtaining the lawyer for court. They argue about Sadie's allegation of stalking and the phone in the car. Sadie, who was at Rosalio's in Kenosha that night, responds to him around 8.47 p.m. that he clearly doesn't appreciate anything. Around 9.04 p.m., there are deleted audio files that are from a navigation of directions to Kenosha. These are on Zach's smartphone, the same smartphone that was found in Sadie's car a couple days prior. If you remember correctly, we do not have the information on when this phone was returned to Zach. At 9.36 p.m., Zach texts Sadie, is this okay for now, for right now, or is there something else you want to watch? Sadie responds to Zach with a question mark. She tells him he is texting the wrong person again, which insinuates that this isn't the first time that he's accidentally texted her instead of someone else. Sadie texts him back the following day, accusing him of following her. She claims that Rosalio was the one that said those things to her, and Zach must have been listening and repeated it back to taunt her. Zach appears to not know what she's talking about. 
He says he's not following her and is at work, appearing not to know that the accusal was referring to the text from the night before. This occurrence was used in trial by the prosecution to once again establish that Zach was stalking Sadie. They said that it was a practice run by Zach to scope out how to get to Rosalio's apartment to murder him. But if Zach echoed the words that Rosalio had said to Sadie that night, wouldn't it make sense for Sadie to get freaked out right then and there, instead of assuming he was texting the wrong person? Why did it take a full day for that accusation to come into play? We can't tell you definitely what happened that night, but in the trial the evidence was used to make it look like stalking had occurred. But did the jury consider what the illusion of stalking might look like? This portion of testimony was just plain and simple hearsay. It was Sadie's word that Rosalio had said these things and there was absolutely nothing to back this up. We don't want to accuse Sadie of creating a narrative to frame Zach for stalking, but we believe that in looking at this case against Zach, it's only fair to consider both angles, which is why we have raised the questions we have. Not to disparage Sadie, but to consider multiple points of view. As we discussed at the beginning, people will go to great lengths to win custody of their children. We know that both parties were keeping records to try to prove the other party was unfit. The couple has demonstrated themselves to having been in a toxic relationship with one another. It can be easy to judge both parties for how they've behaved in these circumstances. But anyone who's gone through a toxic breakup or a contested custody case may be able to relate to the heightened emotions involved. So, did Zach stalk Sadie? Here is the district attorney himself describing what legal stalking requires. What needs to happen for a stalking is you need to have an impact that a reasonable person would have, and it's called the, the part that we care about is serious emotional, uh, suffering serious emotional distress, which means that you have to feel harassed or tormented, that a reasonable person has to feel that. The stalking statute also requires that the individual involved, the person who is suffering at the other end of that, also has to suffer serious emotional distress. In other words, personally feel that they have been harassed or tormented. Based on the evidence we've reviewed, ask yourself if you believe this meets the legal definition of stalking. Our episode concludes by picking back up to almost one week later, May 19th. Zach is at home with his girlfriend, Christine. Zach goes outside in his yard where he notices two unfamiliar men walking up his drive. Living in the country, having strangers approach you on your property is not a common occurrence. The men begin shouting at him and tell him that they're looking for Zachariah Anderson. Zach feels intimidated and doesn't understand what they want, so he says he's Zach's brother and asks why they're there. They are looking for their friend. But Zach feels intimidated by how they're talking to him, so he goes inside and calls the police. The police show up and make an arrest, but it's not the two men. Zach is the one arrested. Next time on Wrongful, who is Rosalio Gutierrez? We uncover the events that happened up to the day he disappeared and the allegations made against Zach. Bye, everyone, and thanks for listening. If you like what you heard and want to catch our next episode, make sure to follow Wrongful on all your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us. We would also love it if you would follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X under Wrongful Pod. Keep the fun going between episodes by joining our Wrongful Podcast group on Facebook to see evidence, discuss episodes, and more.